Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome back to another installment of New Books and Poetry's month-long celebration of the chapbook, Chapbookapalooza. I am your host, Jen Fitzgerald. Lisa Gluskin Stone Street's The Greenhouse won the 2014 Frost Place Chapbook Prize. It's out from Bull City Press this month. Lisa's first book, Tulips, Water, Ash, won the 2009 Morse Poetry Prize. Her poems have been awarded a Javits Fellowship and a Phelan Award and have appeared in journals including the Kenyan Review, Cream City Review, At Length, Quarterly West, Blackbird, and 32 Poems, and in the anthologies Best New Poets and the Bloomsbury Anthology of Contemporary Jewish American Poetry. She writes, edits, and teaches in Oakland, California. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. I would like to start the conversation off with a poem, if that's okay. Um, Would you please read After Dropping My Son Off at Preschool on page 18? Page number, that helps. All right. After Dropping My Son Off at Preschool. The world's slowly coming back. The luxury of stepping outside myself. Where's outside? Rehearsing for years now. I was a bubble, a greenhouse, a lens. Clear like water, present like water, spreading, reflecting, ratcheting down the viewfinder. Self being a place encompassing a small boy. Step outside yourself, ma'am, and no one will get hurt. Nobody got hurt, not seriously. It's a goddamn miracle. The world is mine for six hours. Newspapers. I could read a newspaper. I had the luxury, the privilege. I mention this only to get it out of the way. Pedicure, they say. Money market account. Pilates, New York Times, Organic Tomatoes, LLC. Are you writing again? The ginkgo is dropping leaves on the sidewalk in front of the coffee shop. I want to have deep thoughts about this. The ginkgo is the most ancient of trees. I think I made that up. No, I googled it. No, it is a luxury and a privilege to be such an idiot. Self being a place... The greenhouse encompassing three things, a mother, a ginkgo tree, a small boy. He is always there. Now there are seven or eight toy vehicles there as well. He is framed, with his father's help, the leaf of the ginkgo, full and red, two blushing lobes, and hung it on his wall at eye level. The leaves accumulate in my pockets, the glove compartment, along the back edge of my desk. Some of the leaves make it into collages. Some are given names. Henry, Alice, Bizzo, Mr. Zubs. Some are ground under the wheels of the cars, which also have names. Plotted and planned and tracked and graphed, and still it came suddenly, fogged the evil eye with its emerald swoon. The curving mire, the back inness, rounded vowels through a scrim, a screen, seeped in that blood, recircled, recycled. No heaven, I thought, other than this, and, please God, just ten minutes to pee. This is my job, and I am more than ready for it, and I am not ready for it, and what supplies have I packed for your journey? Water bottle, sunscreen, hats for sun and cold, 
snacks from the Japanese grocery, extra socks in a Ziploc bag. And oh, there is yet one part of me that breathes in and out at a quicker pace, that smaller, hotter heart. Drop off, pick up, the prescription, the renewal, the calls and clients, the days with their windows, rusty levers cranked open. I am back in the coffee shop, three months later, four, the ginkgo a pale green. I think this is where the metaphor breaks down. At night now, two stories, three, I rub his back, inhale, a more complex loam. I step around toy cars, the animals arrayed in sentry against the dark. Open the door, close it quietly, and the night opens up its hours, a few more, a few more. Thank you very much. Um, I would love to know how this collection was crafted, um, how much distance you gave yourself from the content before trying to render it poetically. Um, you say gave myself like I had a choice. <laughs> I think it, it's interesting. I, you know, I, um, I didn't write much my son's first or second year. I didn't sleep much. I didn't sleep through the night for four years, neither did he, obviously. Um, and I think, you know, I keep coming back to that as this sort of reorganization of my brain. And that may or may not have been all about the sleep deprivation, but there's, that was definitely a part of it. My first book, Two Water Ash, came out in um, 2009, and when my son was two and a half years old. Um, and basically between the finishing the collection or getting into a point where it didn't see many changes before it was accepted, and the point of writing the first poem that I wrote for this book, which was um, the set now the second poem in the book, Flowers, Doggies, the Moon, um, I really didn't write for a couple of years, um, other than sort of scribbling things down on envelopes and throwing them in a drawer, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, I just started again, and when I did, everything was completely different. I mean, again, I, I joke about blaming me on the sleep deprivation, but my work, which had been very focused on compression, was suddenly all over the place, multivocal, you know, lots of humor and asides and just different kinds of intensity. Um, And then I kept writing um, as I got more and more time, as the poem says. I mean, these poems are autobiographical and not entirely true, but mostly autobiographical. And um, I, I wrote them from about 2009 through 2013 or so. Um, so kind of slowly, and I would say steadily, but it's more just, you know, in the bits of time that I had available. So if these poems are a departure from the form that you were accustomed to writing in, what was the revision process like? Did you just trust what you had and, and try to um, refine it? I didn't know what I was doing. And all, all the little ticks and tricks and ticks and tricks and tips and all the things that you sort of rely on. I was getting to a point um, toward the end of the poems that were in Tulip's Water Ash, where I was just sick of my own voice. You know, you get to this point where it's like, oh, there's me again. Um, you know, oh, oh, there's that rhythm again. There's that image again. I'm really sick of that. And just, I thought they were good poems, but I was, I was bored by them. Um, you know, and I wrote several poems that didn't make it into the first book, where I was just like, oh, there's me again, there's me again. And I think, um, I, you know, for some some folks say, oh, it's finishing a book. Some folks say, you know, having a baby. It's just whatever. There was some change in in the rhythm of my thought, which translated onto the page. And so when I started revising these, I didn't really know what to do. They were all over the page, and I had to learn how to keep them that loose and still have some craft in them because craft is very important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of a stupid thing to say, but you know what I mean. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> 
how the poems look on the page. It's important that their visual aspect reflect their sonic aspect. And so I had to kind of learn a language. And obviously there were poets I was reading where that language, um, I could learn from their language. But I also, this was a very specific rhythm in my head. And there, were, there was a lot of cutting and moving things around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really relied on intuition in terms of the line breaks, the indents, just the way they, they fell on the page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really enjoy uh, the form and even the way that the use of white space um, how it also speaks sonically to when you're reading it. Um, I was curious if I could get you, maybe, to read two poems back to back. Um, you have two poems in here titled Anchor, one on page 24, the other on 32. Is there any way that you would read one after the other and then we can kind of talk about them together? Uh, the way you ask, it sounds like I'm going to say no. Yes, I, I think you can. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Anchor. I believed I could make it up that will was power, not in that greasy philosophy boy way, but in the ancient sense of generosity of making a poem or a meal or perhaps a practice. I like that, just flexing the fingers. Why do I keep returning to that room, the scarred stone Buddha above the radiator, desk and chair, mirror of tarnished guilt and the rules did not apply? It helped that they were such small rules art and finance and the hum of the freeway at the bottom of the hill, one window that opened. One thing can be made or kept for a while. If it wasn't something, it would be something else. A doubling of cells, lucky, lucky, and eventually bad luck too, category body, category money, category middle-class artists, global collapse, blow to the head, the tired usual, the high wire, and the blessed net. And lucky even out of that, wolf like a wind at the door. About that doubling, we made a person anchor to the earth. Lucky boy. So like I said, you do the one-step trial law, see how it's done, and look up to find you are being pulled by something bigger, the hand of some giant clock, had in fact lashed yourself to it with great joy. And it split me open, made me pure triage, will such a flimsy ticket. Anchor. And if I put down my book to read him a book, and if I put down that book to check the mail... And if I put down the mail to get up and brush my hair and make pancakes because it is Saturday and I have promised pancakes, and if in measuring the flour I hold it up to the light to check the level because I want to be more accurate, and if all this happens entirely in my head because I am still in actuality trying to get myself out of bed, and oh, I am so sick of the self, hauling it around everywhere, dragging it along even as my brain chases the tail of another dangling modifier, in a sentence without a subject, that is, without an anchor, even as everything here is an anchor, the shell of the brush, the scarred griddle, my son's feet pushing into the warm space behind my knees, my husband's arm behind my head, tangled ballast, nudging our raft out into the day. I used to worry I'd float straight up off the earth, snap my tether, fear and relief, I was twenty, it was all meaningful weather, flame and snow. Now the self is a turtle on a rope, prehistoric pull toy, heavy as a station wagon, with compartments for water and sunglasses. Sometimes I forget myself and leave it in the garage. Sometimes I ride it around so it doesn't get lonely. Sometimes it drifts off down a tributary and we go sailing on, three of us in our big bed. It thinks it's steering, but it's not. Thank you very much. Um, I really like these two poems, and I... um 
when I got through the book and I said, hey, I remember that title. And I went back and I read it and then I put the two side by side and it appeared as though they were standing back to back. And um, I loved the way that Anchor meant something different for each, but yet not. Can you talk about why you chose to, to use this title again? Again, you sound like I have a choice about it. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's, I don't want to speak of poetry as it's too mystical, but I proceed by intuition so much. And then, you know, my lit crit and editor training kicks in and I can give very good examples, very good explanations for why I do something um, in, in retrospect. But I think when I do it, it's very intuitive. Um, so in the first poem, um, the child is the anchor to the earth. And I think that's something that was a very strong feeling for me. In the second poem, there's this image of floating up off the earth, which was really a strong image for me all through my 20s, the sense of being untethered and not having anything weighing one down in both good and bad ways, you know. Um, and that becomes kind of ironic in the second poem, that domestic life is an anchor in both senses of the word, in the sense of really holding you to something valuable and to dragging you down. And in the second poem, the self itself, I mean, I think there's, there's a a tendency um, among parents of small children or, you know, middle-aged people or whatever, at least for me, to feel like sometimes that my domestic life, my family, is an anchor in the more difficult way. Mm. That, you know, God, it would be so easier to do this, that, and the other if I didn't have, you know. And at the same time, it's, of course, an anchor in the most positive way. Um, but some of that, in both senses, is an illusion that, the, the selfness is, uh, not to get too Buddhist here, but the selfness, the, one's self is a kind of false anchor, um, you know, and I wanted to talk about that. And the station wagon imagery, of course, brings in the domesticity of it in a way that, you know, you do feel like you're sort of driving yourself around sometimes, or I do, <laughs> and here's myself again, oh God. Uh, anyway, so I hope that answers your question. Oh, definitely. Yeah, you, you handle um, the sentiments in here very gracefully. Um, I know that sometimes when we try to speak from a place of personal experience and then have that personal experience be one that many, many other people will share, um, the way that, that you handle it in here, it kind of subverts it, it turns it on its head, it makes us look at it in a new and exciting way, which was what drew me to your book and, and wanted me, you know, I wanted to choose it right away. Thank you. That's that's my compliment because that's what I'm trying to do if I am consciously trying to do something because I'm really interested in sentimentality and irony and kind of how both of those are, are languages that I use and that we all use and that we're afraid of both of them or we you know, we are afraid of sentimental sentimentality, so we go to humor or irony, but it's not that that is a false direction, you know, and they're, they're both real ways of dealing with intense subjects, you know, and, and, and dealing with daily life. And how do you make poetry out of that tension um, is something that I'm really trying to do. Absolutely. And I wish we had more time because I have a feeling you and I could talk about this for, for a very long time. Um, but I want to thank you for coming on today and for sharing your work with us. Thank you very much. It's been fun. This is Jen Fitzgerald with New Books and Poetry, reminding you to support all the arts, but especially poetry. Poetry.